Hello, and welcome to Driverless, a podcast about all things related to autonomous vehicles. I'm your host, Zach Adams. In today's episode, John Fesco and Todd Northman join me to break down the Consumer Electronics Show that took place a couple weeks ago in Las Vegas. We talk about some of the new developments we saw in the AV space and the messaging coming from various AV companies. As always, feel free to write in and let us know what you thought was the most interesting development at CES or what episodes you'd like to see in the new year. You can contact us on Twitter at at underscore driverless or by emailing us at driverless at tuckerless.com. We've really loved the interaction we've gotten so far and we'd love to have more of it in 2019. But for now, let's get rolling. All right, Todd and John, welcome to the show. Great to be back, Zach. Yeah. And uh, I was hoping that we could kind of get into some of the things we saw in the autonomous vehicle space at CES in, uh, in Vegas. So that being said, uh, let's just jump right into it. What are some of the developments that you guys saw that you were really interested in or that caught your eye? Todd, well, you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. I thought the PAVE campaign, the Partners for Automated Vehicle Education, really kicked it off. And that's the initiative from a variety of different auto manufacturers, ranging from Audi, who will be a co-chair of this, Mobileye, Toyota, Waymo, Zooks. Although, interestingly not Ford, Fiat, and Aptiv, um, their educational initiative. And I thought that was a really interesting way to start CES, although frankly, I think maybe it was a bit of a buzzkill. Yeah, and, and that's, um, that's gonna be kind of an organization that holds different events you know, throughout the year, right? To talk about like driver assistance and self-driving technology, stuff like that, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. They've very clearly said they're not a lobbying organization. They're trying to be a consumer education initiative so folks will learn more and i think the the most interesting signal to me about that is the fact that most of the major players are active there so we're starting to see it look something like the aviation industry where any one manufacturer's accident would be the entire industry's accident right and i think uh you know something that'll be really interesting to keep an eye on is right now it's educational but uh I think undoubtedly some of that education will probably go towards our lawmakers. So while they're not lobbyists per se, I am sure they will uh, definitely be making regular visits to Washington, D.C., right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you see that in their press release where they talk about bringing information not just to the public, but to policymakers as well. Um, right. And I think they even said, you know, federal and state, which kind of gets back to something we saw in AV 3.0, where we don't really have a federal you know, regulation body just yet. So kind of educating people on all levels of government, uh, wherever these laws might start coming in from. So aside from PAVE, John, did you see anything that you were really interested in or that kind of caught your eye? Yeah. So a little bit of a left field for AVs, but but also right on point um, was discussions of, of 5G coming um, and the impact that that can have on autonomous vehicles. Um, it, much, much broader than that. Um, Verizon, for instance, was detailing how 5G uh, will be coming, I think the estimates are, are that it wouldn't start re- replacing 4G in the U.S. until 2020. Uh, but there is a host of, of things to be seen from uh, a, augmented reality, surgery, uh, to virtual reality experiences, to also the impacts that they, that, that could have um, on the autonomous vehicles hitting the roads with its ability to bring processing speeds up to 10 times faster than 4G out there as well. 
And, you know, it's kind of interesting about the, uh, 5G is, I think it's AT&T, but I know someone certainly tried to make claims that they already had some version of 5G active. And, and there's been a lot of pushback towards 5G as far as what exactly is it, how do we define it. And I think there's some uh, similarities to draw between that and kind of the, uh, you know, SAE levels of what is self-driving, things like that. Um, and it seems like at least on the 5G front, we may be getting it sooner. But uh, I think there's still a lot of discussion around when it actually counts as being real 5G versus, you know, when it's just 4G plus or, you know, something like that. Yeah, I think right. Verizon came out with something last year that um, I think it, it converted uh, a 5G signal into kind of Wi-Fi for customers' homes, mm -hmm. um, but not mobile as of yet. I'm not sure if that's what you're referring to. And Todd, what were you saying? Well, I was just going to remark that the interesting part of that to me is it signals even stronger that schism we're seeing in the industry on that communications protocol where you've got auto manufacturers that are very clearly saying they're committed to the existing protocol with the spectrum. And then you've got the signal that people want to move on to the newer 5G. And that's going to be a problem because until we have settled the communications protocol, it's really not going to be effective. But then the second point I wanted to amplify off what John was saying really picks up on Nissan's initiative, which they announced at CES, what they call the I2V, invisible to visible, where they sort of demoed some technology that allows them, quote, to see around corners. And I think that's fascinating. And that's part of the communications protocol that is being enabled. We saw that in central Ohio, where Honda did that this fall and showed in an actual operating downtown near their plant that that technology is there. And I think that's where the safety benefits are going to start to be seen more even than the 5G, but where you actually have vehicles that are able to detect things that the human eye cannot. Right. And all of that's enabled through kind of faster wireless connection, things like that with 5G, but also hardware developments that we're starting to see as well. Uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned BMW. One of the things, and not to get us off track, only five minutes in here, but one of the things I thought was really interesting was their self-driving motorbike, which kind of just gets to one of the discussions we had, you know, on earlier episodes of the show about this kind of mobility as a, as a whole, not just cars, and how the self-driving parts of that can trickle down to things like motorbikes and scooters. And I thought it was really interesting that uh, BMW kind of pushed this out, especially when we don't even really think of them as maybe one of the leaders in the self-driving car uh, territory. But certainly now I would say they're one of the leaders in the self-driving motorbike, right? Yeah, and it's, it'll be interesting to see how much that takes off. And if it does take off, I just don't normally think of, um, I mean, we think of autonomous vehicles and all that those offer and the efficiencies of things like that and the people that would want to use them. It doesn't usually match up with somebody who wants the feel of the open road and the wind in their face and all the things that you would associate with riding a motorcycle. Sure. No, I think that's right. I think uh, more of the efficiency argument would it would be less about the person driving more about space right the idea being uh it's you know a space savings to have two of these motorbikes as opposed to one car um and kind of you know the size of a vehicle required to transport a customer but in any event i thought it was really interesting and actually one of the things that kind of wanted to shift us to that i think is, is really interesting was 
M Vita CEO Jensen Huang his debut of Level Two Plus, and and he called it autopilot, you know, just like Tesla's self-driving feature. And I thought it was really interesting uh, that he used the term Level Two Plus because, you know, obviously that's a callback to uh, the SAE levels, but you know, Two Plus, what does that even mean? And and that's you know asking people that are very familiar with self-driving cars and the SAE terminology. But I think even further, it's kind of interesting that they're using level two plus. I mean, to an average consumer, I don't even know what that means. That I mean, they could think level two plus is level two of you know self-driving. This thing's gonna you know park itself and then uh, come pick me up. It's got a valet function. I mean, I just think it's interesting that we're seeing more and more muddying of the waters as to what a self-driving car actually can do and uh, what that means for a consumer level purchase. Well, it's interesting that they're muddying the waters at that end too, you know, rather right. than trying to, to go closer to the we're level four and, and we're more autonomous. They want to just get on the ADAS side and improve things there, but potentially hang on to that safety net of, but at the end of the day, we're still level two or two plus or whatever. Um, and so that means that you as a human driver are going to be responsible for monitoring your driving environment. And should something go wrong, we've got that nice cushion of, well, that was on you to fix that. And yeah. I guess what I thought from that was really, wow, that is a powerful general counsel's office that they have <laughs> that really tell them, do not use level three, however much you want. There's safety in level two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, uh, I think it's interesting, though, that to, to John's point, they're weighing on the side of we want to be able to put this on the consumer and avoid you know big time liability, as opposed to pushing towards we're at the forefront of this technology and our cars are you know ready to do things that you've never seen before. And the irony of that too is that you're you're juxtaposing these comments about wanting to stay at level two and putting things on the customer with again using a name like autopilot, right? Which to the <laughs> average consumer doesn't mean what they might think of when it comes to level two, that they think of hands off. And, and Zach, to your point uh, earlier about parking itself, you know, a vehicle that can can uh, do a lot by itself. Yeah, no, that's right. And, and even just using autopilot as far as, you know, obviously Tesla kind of first started using that in this space and they are anything but hesitant to put themselves at the forefront of this technology. Uh, and some might even say to their own detriment, but, Another thing I kind of wanted to touch on that I thought, um, at least I found interesting, was this Panasonic Spacey uh, Torta thing. Uh, and basically, for those of you that haven't seen it yet, it's a um, very boxy-looking vehicle that's been called a living space. So it's it's not even being called a car by Panasonic. And it's uh, the design of it is such that it's modular and that it can carry passengers or it can carry... Uh, it can be used for shipping, like cargo, things like that. And some even speculated, you know, for first responders. Um, it could be something that kind of follows around that always has certain medical devices or medical aid things in it. And I think it's just interesting, as we get more development in this space, we're starting to see the ripples. And, you know, uh, years ago, this was only speculative. We talk about how this would change different industries. But it's interesting to start seeing these um, kind of concepts rolling out where, you know, we're not even using the word car anymore and, and just kind of what that means for this industry and just for the infrastructure of the world around us as we kind of progress with this technology and start seeing more companies attacking different industries with this technology in hand. Yeah, yeah I think you've really said a mouthful there, Zach. I mean, it's fascinating because I 
had noted the Mercedes-Benz, and I may not be pronouncing this right, but the urbanetic yeah. concept vehicle where it's a 12-passenger van, but maybe it's cargo and looks wild. And you're talking Mercedes out there, Brittany. It's one thing for Panasonic to put its toe in the waters, but Mercedes putting that thing out there is just wild. But it's that theme you're hinting at, which is this changing form factor, which we're going to start to see more and more and more in autonomy. And I think that's really the most interesting part of CES to me was to see these different factors. You had the Hyundai, and I don't know, maybe we'll put a picture of this in the show notes, but they have a walking vehicle that they or sort of put out there, which is granted just a concept car, very hard to understand, but also the point there would be emergency first responders would have a use for it. Todd, you mentioned Panasonic dipping their toe into this. I think this illustrates another really, really great point. Um, you know, you, you look at how far this industry has come in such a short time, and and I think another theme that that I picked up on throughout CES and, and the announcements that we saw were how many different companies are trying to get into aspects of the AV space, and in it even goes farther. Obviously, Panasonic with this. Um, you know, modular vehicle is is more than just a tow potentially in it, but but the number of people who, or the number of companies rather that are just finding anything that they can be, you know, a, a screen that could be mounted on an autonomous vehicle on the exterior <laughs> of it, or things like that, um, just to find some way that they can say, here's our piece of this emerging industry that we'll try and stake our claim to. Um, that was a big change for me versus not too long ago. You know, John, that actually kind of made me chuckle with the, look at the screen that we mounted down here. I mean, we saw that one car come out, I think it was by a company called Byton, B-Y-T-O-N. And it's basically got the entire dashboard uh, length. It's just screens, you know, it's iPads attached all together. And the middle console has a screen on top of that that you can use for different, um, you know, processes and things like that. And I think it is funny that uh, you're seeing just all these companies, they know the amount of money in this industry. They know the valuations of some of these, you know, the, the leading companies in this industry. And all they want to do is kind of get out to their, you know, consumers, but maybe more importantly to their shareholders and to, you know, the people around Wall Street and say, no, 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 no. we've also got a piece of this puzzle. Like, just trust us. We're going to be a player in this space. And it is kind of funny as much as we've seen maybe some, some uh, flops or obstacles come up in the AV space in you know 2018. There's still so much money there that uh, you know no one can afford to sit out. You can't afford to be on the sidelines. So even if your uh, technology or your component isn't traditionally thought of with you know vehicles or AVs, these people are all looking for ways to kind of inject themselves into the conversation. And I think that's what we're going to keep seeing in 2019 as the year rolls on. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And it's actually the other example I was going to bring up was a product called Yape, Y-A-P-E, by the Milan Technical Company, which is billed as the last mile delivery vehicle. It's really a robot, but it's this tiny little thing that is intended to facilitate delivery. So similar to what Amazon's been working on with drones, but just this tiny little autonomous vehicle that will be used for this particular purpose that doesn't look like the traditional car. No, that's right. I, I think uh, 
it's going to be really interesting to see at what point the money kind of stops because the money's driving everything. And uh, I think once the money kind of stops or starts to go away from the space a little bit, I think you're going to stop seeing all these, um, you know, maybe tertiary or only tangentially related products kind of infiltrate the space. Um, something else I kind of wanted to talk about with you guys is, you know, back in 2018 and 2017, 2016, you know, past five or so years, a big thing has been made of, you know, autonomous vehicles are coming. They're coming. We're so confident that they're coming. They're, we're so confident that the self-driving technology will be there. We're predicting by 2020, you know, X percent of vehicles on the road will be autonomous. Or, you know, we're predicting blank million of consumers will be, will be purchasing self-driving cars. And I thought something that was really interesting with CES this year is all of a sudden those timelines are gone, right? Because 2019 is kind of the last year before, you know, that 2020-2021 uh, inflection point everyone was predicting. And all of a sudden, those timelines of saying, hey, we're about to get there are gone because it, it's go time. And, and either it's the technology isn't there or the, you know, regulatory and uh, you know, public image kind of obstacles have stacked up where it's not possible to kind of push out that technology at the pace that companies were hoping. But I think it was really interesting this year. We heard a lot less talk about timelines and immediacy. And we heard a lot more talk about, um, you know, just kind of vision of the future and what this technology could be it was it was much less concrete than it had been in years past which is interesting considering the technology is supposedly and you know from what we can see much further along than it was back then i mean what do you guys make of kind of these companies dodging the uh the responsibility of holding up to their predictions that they made all those years ago i i think and this gets back to what we touched on on before um that kind of pull towards level two plus and things like that and just advancing ADAS since systems I think it's a combination of of what we saw with the lack of of federal legislation and, and any clear government entity stepping forward to see to say this is how you proceed um, and what we said before that kind of nice safety blanket that you might get from a liability standpoint with some of the level, level two and driver assist technologies, those kind of coming together to say, well, maybe the way forward for now is just to have the greatest ADAS and we can hype it up all we want in the meantime and show a bunch of pictures of our folks taking their hands off the wheel for extended periods of time. Um, but but until, even that's interesting. Oh, sorry, is, but, but at least then until, um, frankly, until the certain government entities get their act together and start to be able to give some guidance on how we're going to mass roll these things out. Maybe people are thinking that that's the, the most cost effective and, and well, the cost effective is the wrong word, but that that's the most um, viable path forward in the meantime. And, and that's kind of interesting, right? Because, you know, just think of the irony there, right? Silicon Valley, and, and again, this won't happen, but, you know, to some sense, this is kind of what you're getting at. Silicon Valley kind of looking the government saying like, well, we're waiting on you guys, you know, without, without your regulations, without your policies in place, we don't really know how to navigate this water. And this is the same industry that I think you would have said a year ago, um, I mean, maybe even more recent, would have been, you know, strongly against kind of full on regulatory policy implication or, you know, um, being forced upon them. They, they wouldn't have wanted kind of the government to stick their, their nose where it didn't belong. And they kind of loved having the free reign and the self 
reporting and things like that. So it's kind of interesting because I, I think you're right. I think a lot of these companies are in a holding pattern because they're waiting to see what the lawmakers are going to do. But just how ironic that is in an industry that traditionally has been kind of anti-Big Brother and more let us figure it out and uh, you know, you'll thank us later when this technology is around and we're saving lives and all that. It's just, I think it's very ironic, you know? Well, and I think it's just more of a pragmatic view than anything else, because I, I don't know that they really want to see that so much as they just recognize that unlike creating an operating system or something like that, you know, th this is get so pervasive of a technology and, and safety is so critical to this technology that you're going to have to see some involvement. And we saw at the end of the year, uh, a what I'll call a big push to get some federal legislation passed uh, that just never really got up to, to speed. And now, obviously, since de since December, uh, we've been in the middle of a, of a shutdown and, and I haven't heard word one uh, in the midst of getting the, the federal government reopened. Nobody seems to be talking about and And job one, once we get it reopened, is to make sure we can pass that federal legislation on uh, autonomous vehicles that didn't quite make it across the finish line at the end of 2018. No, I... I think you're right. I mean, it is a practical approach. It's just, uh, it's just kind of, yeah, like I said, ironic is the only term that's kind of coming to mind. But I also think, I mean, we can't divorce this from what we saw in 2018, where, I mean, the PR hits are really brutal, you know, and I think, even though, uh, you know, for every Elon tweet out there kind of saying, you know, a lot of these attacks are coming for their Teslas, or, you know, we're ignoring how safe these vehicles are, etc., I mean, there's a reason he's, you know, he's tweeting. There's a reason that Tesla's had to kind of take this kind of offensive position because they're just fielding so many attacks over and over on their product. And, you know, I think a lot of companies in this space are looking around saying, like, we just don't want to deal with those headaches. We'd much rather be kind of, uh, you know, floating by and having people kind of constantly impressed with us than pushing the limits of this and having to defend the claims we're making, right? Well, and I think really what we're looking at is that traditional hype cycle and we're at the trough of a hype cycle now and that's i referred when i talked about pave at the beginning to sort of buzzkill and i think zach when you talked about how they moved away from tangible deadlines that mm -hmm. might have been a more concrete way to look at this because that seems to me to be what's driving here and i question whether it's the lack of federal regulation i know of several different commentators and some industry manufacturers and participants have pointed to that but it's hard for me to visualize what regulation someone wants that would that they don't have now it would permit them to safely move forward we're not going to see any sort of barrier to liability go forward i mean the trial lawyers have made sure of that but they weren't the only ones who were against that in federal legislation. So it's hard for me to envision what that legislation would be that they purportedly are waiting for. And, you know, one of the things that I asked you, Todd, uh, I, I think you're right as far as kind of like the hype cycle and maybe we're in the trough. Do you think that, I think it's called the slope of enlightenment, do you think that's coming in the form of a technolo technological breakthrough or a, you know, kind of, um, we're going to start adopting this technology more freely as a society and become more okay with it. I mean, what do you see kind of being the, the segue from the trough that we're in into kind of that plateau of productivity, I think it's called, that uh, you know, makes these products kind of change the way you know, our, our lives work and you know, really get to a market saturation uh, inflection point? 
think what we're going to see here in 2019 and moving forward is really what we've been seeing in 2018, which is companies like May Mobility rolling out their driverless shuttles, seeing you know Lyft. If you were in Las Vegas, you could have taken the Lyft active autonomous vehicle shuttle or ride hailing there in Las Vegas. We're going to continue to see those products. Waymo obviously famously started in 2018 in the late fall with their Phoenix initiative. And that's what we're going to see, just more and more facts. One of the big announcements in Las Vegas was Mobileye and Intel, where they announced that they were going to continue their initiative in Jerusalem for ride sharing and continue to draw those facts. So what I see is you've got the shelter of the PAVE campaign, which seems very conservative, but then you've got the facts where they're going to continue to roll out the different technologies to test it. But also, and again, this is something that was announced at CES, was more of that simulated driving. So I think we're going to see that parallel push where they continue to improve the technology, but be less in their face about it. And a lot of that just depends on having Elon not continue to talk about how he's going to be doing X, Y, or Z. And I, that's what I saw from the PAVE campaign really was trying to dampen those expectations. No, I, I think that's right. I, I think... I think we're going to try and see, yeah, like kind of what I was saying earlier as far as, you know, getting rid of those timelines. We're kind of trying to dampen those expectations because I think these companies are finding out that, you know, hard problems are hard to solve. And, uh, and maybe that's what we're in store for 2019 is that, you know, right now we're in this trough and, and we're facing real technological hurdles or, you know, regulatory hurdles or whatever. And uh, these companies are starting to kind of dig in their heels and really solve the the tough problems, uh, and maybe those aren't, you know, coding problems or hardware problems. Uh, maybe there are something else. And it'll be really interesting to see how these companies kind of navigate this space and when those timelines pop back up, you know, how optimistic are they? Or or do we kind of, is this the death of the AV timeline? And, you know, when we see it, we see it. Well, to that point, Aurora, Chris Ermson, who was formerly with Waymo and has been active his entire career, he was with uh, Carnegie Mellon as part of their DARPA initiatives. And really, that's been his approach since in 2016, he announced that his then 11-year-old son would never have to have a driver's license. That timeline has, he's recognized past, and he now says with Aurora that they have no timeline. They're just going to release when they can safely do it. And I think that is your indicating, Zach, is really where the industry is at now, is we'll and, see. Right. And, and no, and I think that's the benefit, too, of a company like Aurora or some of these other you know, privately held companies that they aren't responsible towards putting out you know, projections. I mean, obviously, you don't have so much runway. You want to you know, keep your investors happy, but it's a lot easier to kind of build in those timeline extensions or that cushion whenever you're not a massive company like a Ford or a GM that's got shareholders that, you know, the, the innovation that you're promising is already kind of baked into your stock price. And, you know, we've got executives that are being held to that. So I think it's a little easier for these smarter, smaller companies to kind of navigate this space and, you know, pivot a little bit or allow themselves a little bit longer while they keep promising these products as opposed to these big companies that, you know, things you can't turn a ship around that quick or a ship that big around quick. Um, anything, anything else before we get out of here, guys? Uh, the last thing I'd mentioned, just while we're on geography, we've already hit on Italy and Israel with Tel Aviv. 
and mobile eye really. But I wanted to mention the other thing that came out of CES was the innumerable number of LIDAR companies that are based in China who were at CES. And I think that really is a powerful signal that we're going to continue to see progress because the price of LIDAR is going to drop precipitously. Right. It's like anything else, right? The more uh, suppliers we have in the space, you know, that are kind of taking down that cost of product, uh, the better it is for the consumers, which here are hopefully the autonomous vehicle manufacturers, right? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. We're going to keep seeing that. Who knows? Maybe in 2020, we'll see Tesla put in LiDAR. And speaking of Mobileye and China, I think Mobileye also announced that they were partnering with uh, public transit systems in China to bring autonomous technology to their shuttles there. I think level four technologies uh, to their shuttles throughout China. Wow, that'll be very interesting to monitor just I mean, based on population size and I mean, full on level four. That's, I mean, that's an ambitious uh, endeavor to say the least. Yeah, well, and then, you know, Singapore announced as well that they are doubling down on their initiative. So we are in a dynamic time. Yeah, certainly a race to uh, get to that full self-driving self -driving capability. Um, anything else before we get out of here? Oh, terrific. Thanks, Zach. Yeah, good to be back. All right. Uh, take care, and we'll talk next time. We're really excited about what we have in store for 2019, and we really appreciate all of you for tuning in and reaching out to us. Uh, until next time, thanks for listening to Driverless.